0: you'll find it's a rather lengthy passage of Scripture, but that is, um, we're going to let God's Word really speak for itself. And so in my remarks, I'm going to be um, commenting more on God's Word. But if you'll look in the Scripture that you have, beginning with chapter 8, Verse twenty through nine seventeen. We're in a we're in a series, by the way. Uh, welcome. We're in a series on the covenants, the promises, and there's six of them. But the promises that God has made to His people. And last week we began saying God made a promise, and God kept His promise to Adam. And this week, we're going to look at the promise that he made to Noah. And then in following weeks, leading up to Christmas Day itself, we're going to be reminded that when God makes a promise, there's no out, there's no backing up. He keeps his promises to us. And faith is taking God's promise, even though we don't completely sometimes see it fulfilled or consummated. But by faith we say, I claim that promise. He made a promise. He is God. He is faithful. I will be faithful to keep that promise for myself. Beginning with verse 20. Now this is after the flood. So Noah has been on an ark for quite some time. The flood waters have subsided. Uh, He sent the dove out and he sent the birds out and As they came back and then they didn't return, he knew that the land, the mountaintops were exposed, the ark comes to rest on what we believe to be Mount Ararat. And now he is coming forth unto a very wet, but a very new creation. He wouldn't have been greeted by animals. He wouldn't have been greeted by um, a welcome team. He wouldn't have been greeted by by old family members or old neighbors, they were gone. And we believe also, though the Bible is, because it's not a a book about geography, we also believe that the landscape would be dramatically different. Continents perhaps even shifted. The Grand Canyon was formed. There were all sorts of things. The landscape would be totally different. And then notice the first thing that Noah does is... Worship, Verse 20, Then Noah built an art to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So Noah, perhaps hearkening back to his, you know, to, to Cain and Abel when they offered a sacrifice. Abel offering from the the fruit of his flock, which would have been an animal. Cain offering from the fruit of the field, one being more acceptable. Noah says, as an act of worship, as an act in response, that my and my family's life has been saved, redeemed, preserved, I worship. And God was pleased with this. And God talks to himself. Moses, who would have written these, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Moses, who would have written this, has insight through the inspiration of the Spirit of God that this is God smelling the sacrifice, receiving our worship in acknowledgement of his salvation and saying, I am so pleased. And then to himself, he says something, Never again. Never again. I will never again curse. Uh, chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fruit of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Um, it's called the cultural mandate, but we're beginning to see a pattern here where God, when He makes a promise, he, and, and we we are faithless, He doesn't say, okay, scratch that, forget that, we're gonna have a new contract. Originally to Adam and Eve, placing them in the garden, it's called the cultural mandate, but he said, Be fruitful, multiply, name the creatures, rule over all the creatures, rule over all of creation as my representatives. It is all yours. rule that... And so he goes back to it with Noah, but there's a difference. He's saying that the animals, verse 2, will fear you and they will dread you. The animals are going to now have a growing fear of you because you're different than when you were in the garden. Sin has begun to alienate you from creation, from the creatures. And now they're going to fear you, but also... Some believe that this is a grace of God because if the animals didn't fear man at all, then they might very well consume us <laughs> and we would be short-lived. Verse 3, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every priest I will require it, and from men. So um, this is, it's okay if you're vegetarian, it's okay, but it's not a biblical idea. Uh, in the garden, we think that Adam and Eve were, in all likelihood, they were just vegetarians or fruititarians. They would have been given permit to perhaps eat meat. We don't know if they consumed meat or not. But here, God is saying, you can now be a carnivore. And be a carnivore with my blessing. In fact, it would be very, very hard, if not impossible, to be a Jewish worshiper of the Passover where you're instructed to eat the lamb uh, annually in recognition of a bloody sacrifice being slain in your place. But now he's giving him permission. He's saying, before I blessed you and you ate green things, but now you can eat everything. But there's still certain things that even then, not an animal that has blood in it. In other words, don't just, something that doesn't have the blood drained. Uh, End of verse 5. From his fellow man I will require reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth, multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. So it's, it's generational. It's a new race. It's a representative race. It's a people. If, if you look very, very closely as a good reformed Christian uh, with a theological understanding of these things, it's actually election. He's saying, I am going to bless you and for your family that has come under my grace and has come under my blessing, then I will also, it's not only for you, but it's also for your offspring. And we'll see this when we look at Abraham, because that was the promise to him. It's not simply for you, but it's for those precious loved ones that you love so much. I love them even more than you. In other words, God is saying, I'm not simply going to be a God for you as my people, but I'm making you into my people. I'm crafting you into my people. I'm reproducing you as my people. And I will use you in my world as my people. Verse 10, With every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. Strange thing, but he made the covenant with the animals as well. And we saw last week in Romans 8 where the earth groans waiting for the final day, waiting for redemption. But God is saying to the animals, I'm not going to destroy you. He's saying to the earth, I'm not going to destroy the earth either. I'm going to I'm going to preserve the earth. Why? What is that? It's pointing to that future day where this earth is our future home and the new heaven and the new earth. And it's going to be preserved. It's going to be reminiscent of even going back to the garden except this time it's going to be a city I know too much too many facts verse 11 I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth and God said this is the sign of the covenant And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. If you'll look at your outline, we are looking at uh, the covenant. And the covenant promise of God is this. I will be your God and you will be my people. And the covenant, there are six of them. So there's really one covenant story. One story of redemption. One story of God saying, I will come and make you to be my beloved. I will redeem you, I will save you, I, will, I, I who have given you life. But there are six episodes, none of them contradictory, but each one reveals more of the nuances of the previous seed form of the covenant. Last week we looked at the, the covenant with Adam, and, and basically that episode says, I created you for a relationship with me. That's revisited here in what we've just read when God talks about the blood. Uh, When he talks about the, the blood of man, being man is made in his image. Unlike the other creatures, man is distinct as an image bearer of God. So to lay hands and to shed blood of another image bearer, is not only a crime against humanity, but it's a crime against the creator. It'd be like if you're an artist and someone coming into your your, um, art studio and they just say, I don't like this, so I'm going to destroy it. The person that is going to be the most upset is the creator, the artist. And so God is saying, man above all others, there is a there's a preciousness about him because he is my creature. And as, I prom- as I've made him, I made him for a relationship of intimacy with me. And then this week, what you're to see is with Noah. In this episode, God comes along and he says, I will preserve and I will protect every man, woman, child, and creature and those in this world that are mine. I will preserve them. I will protect them. Um, Think about a, a wedding where the couple exchanges vows. You know, will you love? Will you honor? Will you cherish? Will you provide for this person? Will you stay with this person? And God is saying, I will be the protector. I will preserve life. I'm not about the the I'm not a destroyer. I'm a creator and this week we're seeing that he is a preserver. Now this story begins in Genesis 3 uh, way back in Genesis 3 in verse 15 where Adam is where Adam and Eve and we believe the serpent who is Satan they're before uh, God and he is cursing them because Adam Uh, And Eve have grossly, stubbornly, rebelliously uh, disobeyed and transgressed God's one command. He he spoke and he said, there is one fruit from one tree that you're not to eat. And they did, and they disobeyed. And, And God said, even now though, I'm not going to give up on Adam and Eve. And so he looks and he says, I will put enmity between you, he's talking to the serpent, devil, and the woman, and between your offspring, and some Bibles say seed, the wicked, and her offspring, the righteous. So already there in the garden, he's saying as they prepare to leave the garden, he's saying in this world there's going to be two races, mine, yours, Eve's progeny, and the wicked of the world. There's only two the wicked and the righteous. And it's not the self righteous, but it's those that God has put His love upon and He calls His own. He, and this is where the story begins Jesus shall bruise your head, and you, the devil, shall bruise his heel. That is the redemption, that's the plot line of this redemption story that begins to unfold with each of these six covenant promises. Now I want you to see, before we conclude, I want you to see three things very quickly. I want you to look at the blood, I want you to look at the boat, and I want you to look at the bow. These three things pertain to God's pledge, His promise to preserve our life, and to protect us. Look at the blood. Now I'm not going to read all of this, but in Genesis 4, which you don't have, but in Genesis 4, verses 10 through 15, we, we read this great crime of murder has taken place from one brother Cain to his other brother Abel. In a perhaps a jealous rage, Cain has struck Abel in the field struck him down and now God comes to him and it's not that God doesn't know what has happened or doesn't know where Abel is that he's dead now but he gives Cain as it were an opportunity to repent. He, he basically says All right, where's, where's your brother? What's going on? And he rather famously says am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. Where. And he's like God's like no the very ground this soil is crying out. It it drank up his blood even as he lay in that field and died. And as he was dying, that ground cried out for justice. His blood that was slain cried out. It cried out to me for justice. And Cain is... Uh, By God, God says to to Cain um, that that he's going to be a fugitive, he's going to be a vagabond, he's going to be a wanderer. Instead of a farmer, he now becomes a Bedouin, a traveler. But God preserves Cain's life. He doesn't take his life, and that's God's prerogative as the judge. Later on, in Genesis 8, what we see is that For every person that sheds life, every person that sheds blood, then God requires justice from them. But note that it's God. It's God that can be looked to for justice. Whenever you see bloodshed, and we believe that prior to the flood, that that was probably the sin royale. That was the, the sin du jour. That was the, the vice of the day. That was how they settled arguments. That was how they took possessions. That was how they protected and preserved themselves or their name or their possessions. Just murder someone. Now you may say, what has murder got to do? Well, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, whenever you insult, whenever you label, whenever you condemn others with your mouth, it's, you call somebody a fool, a raka, It's like murdering them. It's, it's the same thing. You're speaking against an image bearer. You're harming an image bearer. Well, what about justice? Because we cry out. Unfair, unfair. We protest in the streets. Justice, justice. We block traffic. Justice, justice. It requires wisdom. We are called as God's people Like his heart, we have a heart for justice. That's part of bearing his image, is that we want justice. But there are times, it takes wisdom and discernment. There's time that we need to stand for justice. And there are legal, legitimate ways. God entrusted, we see this in Romans 13, God entrusted the government with what's called the power of the sword for justice. And we need to make sure that the government the legal authorities do their job. And that justice is rendered. But there are other times, and I think particularly for private hurts and injustices, that we need to look and stand down and trust and wait for God. But He can be depended upon. He can be dependent upon to render justice in his time. And we know by looking in the book of Revelation at the end times. There will be those children. The innocent slain. Who will still even in heaven be crying out. How long? How long? How long until justice? And God comes and he says it's coming. There is a day and it's a terrible retribution. But you can trust me. You can trust me. I will avenge. I will bring justice. Therefore, we don't have to take justice into our own hands. You with me? And that's a pledge and a sign that God keeps His promise to protect us is for justice. Secondly, the boat. God has a plan to uh, preserve Himself, I mean to preserve His people even even when they break their promises. Sean Lucas, in writing his book on what do Presbyterians believe, said, God is determined to bring judgment upon humanity, but He remembers His promise to Adam and Eve. He keeps His promise and continues the story by showing grace and preserving Noah and his family. Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8 The Lord saw the wickedness of man. This is prior to the flood. This is leading up to the flood. This is the state of the world prior to God's judgment and his justice. Because, see, God is a just God. So he's he's got to, you know, for all of those families that were being murdered, I mean, he's got this blood is crying out to him, this wickedness that is crying out to him. So he must judge. He must do justice. He sees the wickedness of man. He sees every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man. Go down. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we see those two hearts. We see man's heart is wicked. God's heart is breaking. Man's heart is only about himself. Man's heart is wicked, desperately wicked. But God's heart is mournful after his creation. He wasn't thinking, man, I'll just start all over. What he was thinking is, I want to continue. And I want to continue. I am pledged to keep my promise to man. And so he continues the promise that he made to Adam and Eve. But at the same time, he brings the flood as an act of, just, of justice and judgment. And in so doing, we find that he chose Noah and his family. That little but, it's just a small word. But Noah, Noah found favor with God. It doesn't mean that he was a perfect man, far from it. But Noah, by God's blessing, God said, you. I'm going to bless you. He takes a representative of the people and he says, Noah, you will build an ark and your family will be ushered in and I will be with you. Now, I've got to leave this, but two quick observations. Um, there in the ark, in Genesis 6, verses 18 through 19, we see that God says, I will establish my covenant with you. And this is the first mention of the covenant in Genesis. So you come into the ark, your sons come into the ark, your wife's sons come into the ark, your wife comes into the ark. Every living thing representative, two by two, they come into the ark, male and female. It's interesting, a mind blower, but also in that ark is Jesus. Now he's not physically in the ark at that point, but in the very loins, the seed, the promise to Noah, if you chase, if you trace the lineage of Jesus, it's this people, it's this line that ultimately, and we see this in the final covenant promise that God keeps, Jesus comes. And so, the, the, even now, the story is getting thicker and it's becoming more complex, more comprehensive, but altogether more beautiful. That God saved Noah because he's going to save a people and he's going to save them through Jesus. And it's all there in the, the plan to put them in an the ark to preserve them. And he's also preserving the creatures. Who knows? I mean, if men are murdering men, who knows what havoc they're doing to creation. They've, they've totally left their mandate to be fruitful and to multiply. They're just living for themselves. And so God says, I will preserve you and the ark, but I'm preserving you following my judgment so that you can continue outside of the boat to preserve the earth. Um, just quick observation. What does it mean to be fruitful and multiply? I think two rivers is pretty fruitful and multiplying physically. Uh, we, it it you know we've got uh, for the longest time, I've got a prayer card for our expectant moms, and for the longest time I've I've always had three names on the card, and then someone will deliver, and we have a new little one in our church family, and then someone else will say, I'm pregnant, and so one will drop off and one will get added, so we're pretty fruitful with childbearing and children. But what if you're single? Or what if you're a couple and you don't have children? We're fruitful and we reproduce offspring in our race, in our lineage, by sharing our faith. In fact, if you're fruitful by having physical offspring and you're not sharing the faith, if in your home prayer is absent, the the gospel of Jesus Christ, worship, songs. If you're not communicating to your kids that God is a creator, a preserver, a protector, a provider, and all through Christ, then I would say you're not really fruitful. Fruitful means that we are not, we're not—we're reproducing our faith in the lives of others, whether they're our offspring or our neighbor or someone that we're in relationship with. And it multiplies. God wants, He wants His race, His people, His offspring, He wants them to be very, very large. Are we fruitful? Are we doing our part in creation? Are we, you know, Christians have every... Reason to be really environmental. But at the same time, we don't feel like we're raiding or ransacking the earth by getting produce or by getting minerals or by eating animals, all that. So we should be wise in the utility of all of that. But we should also pick up trash. We should also try to help you know and encourage clean water we should we should we should be of all people because this is a promised god has said i will preserve it how is he going to preserve the earth how is he going to preserve creatures through us through us so join ducks limited and um, preserve the earth um Gabriel Fokker in his book, The Doctrine of Revelation, talking about how it's one story in the Bible. It's not just a series of, of God changing His mind, but one constant story says, God does not go back on the divine intention. The no of the world cannot turn aside the yes of the word. His covenant is for keeps. And He wants us to remember that. He wants to remember That He is faithful and He keeps His promise. And to do that, He gives us a sign. He gives us a bow. He gives us a rainbow following the darkest storms. And rainbows, they don't... Yes, you can see them in bright sunlight at times. But rainbows come out right after the storm. It's still wet. It's still dark. And still cloudy. But if we look up, we can see the rainbow. For years, it has been a tradition, and I believe it began with the Puritans, that whenever a child perceived the rainbow, that they were encouraged to pray. To either pray a prayer of their own design or to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I thought that was... Oh, was great that we would see the rainbow and we wouldn't simply think about how do those crystals in the air and how can I sometimes see a double rainbow and how does the refraction of light create that? But that we, particularly God's sons and daughters, would say the rainbow is a sign that God keeps His promises. In Revelation... Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. John, when the curtain was pulled back for heaven, saw this vision. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. Bible says that in verse 15 I will of chapter 9 I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh when the bow is in the clouds I will see it and remember Let me ask you a question. For whom is the rainbow after the storm? After the dark. For whom is the rainbow a sign? Think about it. God says that while it is certainly a visible sign to us, that it's first and foremost assigned to Him. Now, God doesn't need any reminders to keep His promise. But He wants you to know that He is ever, ever mindful to protect and preserve you, His creatures that He calls sons and daughters because of His relationship with. He wants you to know that he has a reminder that's even around the chair that he sits in in the heavens. He wants you to know that whenever that rainbow is seen by you from your car, he is looking at that same rainbow. He is remembering his promise. His promise to you and his promise to the creatures and his promise to this world to preserve us. Sinclair Ferguson and others have said that the word for rainbow here is not the the word that you would typically use for nature. It's a word that means a war bow. And that by the shape of the rainbow, the bow itself is going to be pointed toward the heavens. Sinclair Ferguson says God knows the cost to himself to keep his promises. If he is going to preserve your life, if he is going to protect you and that in relationship with him forever, then there must be a blood sacrifice and not your blood. It must be another. And that this bow, as it were, points like an arrow to the very heart of God saying I see and I remember and I will keep my promise even that I will come and I will sacrifice and I will die for my beloved to keep my promises be that as it may God sees the rainbow and he remembers and I would that we would I would that that we would have an opportunity to rehearse this rich promise that he made to Noah. And know that it's not a promise simply to one of our spiritual ancestors, but it's just as real and present as a promise to me today. In Hebrews, chapter, I'm going to say, chapter 12, verse 24, the writer of Hebrews says that the blood of Christ speaks a stronger word than Abel's blood did from the ground. And what that means is that Jesus Christ, when He shed His blood for us, that blood spoke a word. Justice for all those that would come to put their faith in Him. And that word speaks to God the Father, and He needs no reminder, as well that justice would be done in that Christ shed his blood and it speaks to God for our innocence now for our pardon for our forgiveness so we have that sign even on this table today for God has given us signs that we are his people we're his forgiven people and that he will continue to bless us He will make us fruitful. He will multiply. He will grow our faith. And for that, He's giving us the Lord's table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's just a bit of bread and wine, but it speaks volume. And by the mystery of these elements, I ask that you would take this bread and this cup and that you would set it aside for a holy purpose this morning that we would eat this bread and we would drink this cup and you would strengthen our union with you. You would strengthen and grow and multiply our faith and you would give our heart nourishing confidence that you are our God and we are forever your people. That even as you provide this table at the cost of Christ, you will meet our needs through the very riches of Christ Jesus. In this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.